Contrary to common assumptions, Jesus was not so much the answer man as he was the question man. As we read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asks many more questions than he answers. In fact, more often than not, when Jesus was asked a question, guess what? He answered with a question. And if we add them all up, Jesus asked 307 questions in the four Gospels. This morning, as we continue our series of lessons, questions Jesus asked, we come to the values question here in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Questions Jesus asks. Let's take a closer look at the values question here in Matthew 16. Before we dig into today's text, let's pause and ask God to speak to us clearly through His Word, the Bible. Would you pray with me? Jesus, once again, we are sitting at Your feet. You are the Master Teacher. We are your students. We are your disciples, your followers. And we're ready to hear from you. So open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would understand. And open our hearts that we would receive the truth that you now want to teach us. And help that truth to take root in our lives and to produce fruit. The fruit you want it to produce as we learn what it means to follow you. Teach us today, I pray, in your precious name. Amen. Okay, well, follow along in your Bible as we read Jesus' words here. Matthew chapter 16, we pick it up with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me We'll find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Often what is recorded in one place in the Gospels is also recorded other places as well, sometimes with a little bit different wording, such as the case with Matthew 16, 24 through 26. For instance, in Matthew 10, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In Mark 8, verses 34 through 37, 
Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Luke 9. Verses 23 through 25. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We'll refer to those other passages as we work our way verse by verse through Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Let's begin with verse 24. The text begins, Then Jesus said to His disciples. Now if we go back a few verses to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16, you might remember from our last lesson that Jesus had just asked His disciples, verse 13, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And after they gave several crowd responses, Jesus asked in verse 15, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And of course, Peter made the great confession, verse 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, then in the verses that follow that, Jesus predicts His upcoming crucifixion. And then we get to today's text, verse 24, then Jesus said to His Disciples. And so verses 24 through 26 are directed toward his disciples. First and foremost, the apostles. In a little broader sense, all of those who were serious about following Jesus back then. And in the broadest sense, you and me today. Verse 24 continues with Jesus' words, Whoever wants to be my disciple. By the way, don't miss that word, whoever. (laughs) I looked it up in the Greek, and whoever means whoever. (laughs) Just wanted you to know that. Because I believe it's important for us to understand that Jesus' call to discipleship is for anyone and everyone. Perhaps you might be thinking, all this talk about discipleship isn't for me. I can't possibly live up to Jesus' calling. These questions Jesus asked are just too much for an ordinary person like me. Surely Jesus intended them for His apostles, or maybe they're meant for pastors or for missionaries, but not me. Don't you dare think that. Because Jesus' invitation here is called a discipleship is for whoever. And that includes you. Jesus continues in verse 24, must deny themselves. The word deny here can also mean disown. It's used to describe refusing to associate with someone, in this case self. We need to deny or disown Self, refuse to associate with self. That's pretty extreme. It's saying, I can no longer stand to be associated with myself. I've had it with me. (laughs) I'm sick and tired of myself. I don't want anything more to do with myself. Now we'll come back to that in just a moment. But for now, let's continue to work our way through today's text. Jesus continues in verse 24, and take up their 
cross. I'm afraid that we have so misinterpreted and misapplied Jesus' statement here for so many years in the church. I grew up in a church hearing sermons about what bearing my cross means. Basically, we've been taught that Jesus was talking here about some kind of burden that we have to bear in life, as though bearing my cross is some inconvenience, some sickness, some misfortune, some difficulty, or some other kind of thorn in the flesh that we have to endure. And nothing could be further from the truth of Jesus' words. When Jesus said, take up their cross, there was only one intended meaning. In the context of this statement here in Matthew 16, Jesus and His disciples knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Death. The cross, crucifixion, means death. Crucifixion was considered the most painful, gruesome, and shameful way to die. Good Roman citizens weren't even supposed to talk about it. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus called it the most wretched of deaths. These disciples in Jesus' immediate audience had witnessed literally thousands of their countrymen die on hillsides. And so when Jesus said cross, there was no doubt in their minds as to what Jesus meant. The Roman purpose behind crucifixion was pretty simple to provide the most painful, gruesome, and publicly shameful death imaginable. The condemned would be forced to carry the horizontal crossbeam of the cross, weighing over 100 pounds generally, through the streets in a procession to the place of execution, which was always just outside the city gate. A small sign stating the victim's crime was usually placed on a staff and carried in front of the procession. It was later then nailed above the head of the victim on the cross. As the condemned would walk the streets, people would scream insults, they would spit on him, they would throw things at him. When the condemned arrived at the place of the crucifixion, he was then first nailed to the crossbeam that he had just carried. Historical accounts tell us that rough seven to eight inch long nails were driven between the small bones of the wrist. The soldiers would then take the left foot and press it backward against the right foot and with both feet extended toes down, one nail would be driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The cross would then be raised and it would drop, into a hole in the ground and the condemned would proceed to be crucified. As it would sag down with more weight on the nails in his wrist, excruciating pain would shoot along the fingers through the medium nerve and up to the brain. And as he pushed himself upward with his feet to avoid this stretching torment in his wrist, his weight, of course, would then shift entirely to the nail in his feet. Eventually, back and forth and back and forth, his arms would become exhausted with fatigue and his muscles so cramped that he could no longer push himself upward. And as he hung in this cramped and painful position, air could be drawn into his lungs but not exhaled. 
The victim would fight with all of his remaining strength to lift himself gasping for just one more breath of oxygen. But eventually, carbon dioxide would build up in his lungs and his bloodstream, and the victim would actually die of asphyxiation. The condemned man would literally suffocate on the cross. Now folks, this is the picture that the disciples in Jesus' immediate audience saw when He said in verse 24, and take up their cross. Horrible suffering, pain, death. By the way, there's a little side note here. Luke 9 verse 23 adds a wonderful word to this phrase, and take up their cross daily. In other words, this is to be an everyday way of life. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. Jesus concludes, verse 24, and follow me. By the way, that's a pretty common phrase, isn't it? Eighteen times, in fact, in the Gospels, Jesus challenged people with this command, follow me. And He says the same to us today. Follow me. If we are genuine, authentic disciples, we will follow behind Jesus. We will get in step with Him. We will follow in His footsteps. We will walk as Jesus walked. In fact, 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 tells us, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. The Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 2 and verse 6. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. Would you read it with me? Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That brings us to verse 25. Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Me will find it. Now, I'm not going to comment so much on this verse except to point out the paradox here. Do you see it? If you want to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you want to lose your life, then just hold on to it. I think Jesus is summing up everything He said in verse 24 here in verse 25. We have a choice. If we want real life, abundant and eternal life, then we lose self. We deny self. We die to ourself. But if we just want to continue as is, then go ahead, save self. Keep living for self. Make it all about me, my, mine. But just realize in doing so, that you're going to lose real life. The choice is ours. But as we're thinking through what this means, Jesus wants to be sure we don't miss out on what's really at stake here. So look at verse 26, because here's the values question today. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. Now the word soul here is your eternal being. The real you that lives on after you die. And Jesus is asking us to make a value judgment here. Is our soul, is our eternity worth losing for the sake of gaining, if it were even possible, the whole world? 
Again, it's the values question. And we have a choice. We can go for it now and lose it forever. Or we can give it up now and gain it forever. What do we truly value? The world or God? The temporal or the eternal? The here and now or the what is to come? Well, that's a look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study of the values question today? Frankly, I feel like we're barely even scratching the surface of what Jesus taught us here in Matthew 16, 24-26. But as I was praying and studying and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to me some take-home lessons that we could glean from these verses, He impressed upon me three key words for our application. Let me give them to you. The first word is the word self-denial. Self-denial. Once again, Jesus says in verse 24, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves. Self-denial. Folks, this is not difficult to understand. As we've already pointed out, to deny self means to disown self, to refuse self. It's saying, I can no longer stand to be associated with myself. I've had it with me. I am sick of myself. I don't want anything more to do with myself. That's not difficult to understand, but it is so hard to apply. Self-denial is the main thrust of Luke 14, verse 26. When Jesus said that a disciple must hate his or her father, mother, spouse, children, siblings, yes, even their own life, or they cannot be his disciple. Self-denial is, in fact, self-hate. Did you know that Self-hate is the term that Martin Luther used when he posted his 95 Theses to begin the Protestant Reformation. He was a Roman Catholic priest who had come to understand the truth of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, apart from religion, rites, and rituals. And So he determined that he would confront the Roman Catholic system, and he selected 95 statements or protests... That's, by the way, why we're called Protestants. And he wrote them down and he nailed them on the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg back in 1517, this month. The 30th of this month. We celebrate that. But the fourth of these 95 assertions was that a penitent heart, a heart that comes to God and receives salvation, is characterized by, in his terms, self-hate. In his own words, until the sinner comes to hate himself, he does not enter the kingdom of God. Self-hate. Self-denial. Same thing. It is saying, I deny that there's in me anything of value, anything of worth, anything good, anything that ought to be awarded anything, anything that ought to be paraded as exemplary, anything that ought to be exalted. Self-denial is, in fact, the beginning place to becoming a Christian. We cannot come to God 
bringing anything of our own. We must come to Christ saying, I am nothing. I bring nothing. I have nothing. I've done nothing. And then and only then can we experience saving grace. Self-denial is this overwhelming sense of drowning in our utter sinfulness. It's what Peter felt when in Luke 5 he had been fishing all night without catching a thing and Jesus came along and told him to put down his nets for a catch. Do you remember that story? What happened? The nets were so full of fish that they began to break and Peter had to signal his partners in another boat to come and help them and they filled both boats so full that they actually began to sink and Luke 5 and verse 8 tells us when Simon Peter saw this he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away! from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. The same attitude was found in the tax collector who went to the temple to pray. Luke 18 verse 13. It says he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Self-denial. I wish I could say more on this. I heard one preacher summarize it this way. Self-denial is not thinking of yourself as lowly. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Let me wrap up this point of application with Philippians 3 verses 7 through 9. In fact, would you read these verses out loud with me? The very credentials I once thought made me something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the selfish things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my Master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped myself in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. So the first key word for our application of the values question is self-denial. The second key word is (laughs) self-death. Self-death. Once again, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross. And as we already discussed, whatever else take up their cross may mean, it certainly means death. Self-death. When a Roman official sentenced a man to death by crucifixion, he would give the order, put the cross on the man. I'm sure Pilate said that to Jesus. And Jesus says the same to us. Put the cross on the man, on the woman. It's a self-death sentence. It's similar to what many U.S. prisons announced when a prisoner led to his or her execution. Dead man walking. Folks, that's what it means to be a true Christ follower. We're nothing more than a dead man walking. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Galatians 2 and verse 20, Myself has been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Dead person walking. Now practically speaking, how do we know whether or not we've really died to self? One commentator I read this last week helped me to put this into proper perspective by asking a series of questions. Let me just ask them of you. Do dead people insist on having things their way? Do dead people demand their own rights? Do dead people have their own agenda? Do dead people care about what other people think? Do dead people worry about their future? Do dead people hold grudges and refuse to forgive? Do dead people struggle with this or that habit or addiction? And by the way, the list goes on and on, but I think you get the idea. We just need to ask ourselves, if I'm really dead, would I do, say, or think this way? If I'm really dead, do would I really do, say, or think this way? Let's read Romans 12 and verse 1 out loud together. Brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. That's such a thought-provoking description there. A living sacrifice. As somebody said, the only problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. So the second key word for our application of the values question is self-death. Number three is self-discipline. Self-discipline. Again, the parallel passage in Luke 9 and verse 23 adds a very significant word to Jesus' teaching. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What a critical word. Daily. I think this speaks of self-discipline. This self-denial and self-death we're talking about is something that must be addressed daily. Eugene Peterson says that Jesus' call to discipleship is best described as a long obedience in the same direction. I like that. Denying self and dying to self is not only Jesus' call, it is Jesus' daily call. It is our daily responsibility. Discipleship requires self-denial and self-death when things are going well and when things are not going so well. Self-discipline. It's required in the good times and in the bad times. Daily. Every single day. One day and then another day and then another day and then another day. A long obedience in the same Direction. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 15 and verse 31, I die daily. <laughs> and for me, I found that I must begin each day by consciously praying something like this. Jesus, as I begin today, I choose to deny self. I choose to die 
to self. Today it is no longer I who live, but it is You, Jesus, who lives in me and through me. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so the third key word for our application of the values question is self-discipline. Three key words for our application of the values question today. Self-denial. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Self-death and take up their cross. And self-discipline daily and follow me. Questions Jesus asked. This morning we've considered the values question here in Matthew 16. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? As we wrap up today's lesson, I actually want us to consider the second question that Jesus asked in verse 26 one more time. In fact, let's read Jesus' words out loud together. Would you read this with me? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Wow. Let that sink in for a minute. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Somebody has said every person can be bought. That every one of us has a price. So let me ask you, what is your price today? What would you give in exchange for your soul? A number of years back, there was a movie that was called Indecent Proposal. Now, I never saw the movie, but I understand that the plot was that a man offered a woman a million dollars to have sex with him. That was the indecent proposal. When the movie was out, there was an interviewer who went out on the streets to do some on-the-street interviews to get people's opinions of the idea behind this proposal. Was it true that everyone could be bought? That everyone has his or her price? I remember one of those interviews. He stopped one young lady and he asked her if he offered her a million dollars, would she agree to that same proposal? And pretty quickly she answered, well, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? Sure. million dollars? And I remember the interview then said, well, how about if I offered you three quarters of a million dollars? Would you still take this proposal? And the woman thought for just a moment and said, well, yeah, I think I'd do it for $750,000, sure. And then he said, so what if I gave you $20 right now and let's go do it? <laughs> and she said, What? Who do you think I am? What kind of a woman do you think I am? 
And he replied, well, we've already established that. We're just trying to find the price. So what's your price? That's the question. What is your price? What would you really give that this world has to offer in exchange for your soul? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a sobering question today. One that all of us need to ask. We need to think about. That's why You asked it. What is our price? What would we really go after that this world has to offer that would be more valuable than our soul, our eternity. God, I pray that You would help us to see there is nothing, absolutely nothing, more valuable than our personal relationship with You. There is nothing that this world has to offer that is of greater importance and value than our soul. And in fact, we need to proclaim to this world, I'm already bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and I am not for sale. And there is no price. No price. That's high enough. That would cause me to walk away from that relationship. Help us to get this today, I pray. we got to get this. And in self-denial, and self-death, and self-discipline, we choose to abandon it all for You, Jesus. We pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.